Come on. That's so good. If that doesn't get you fired up, I don't know what will. I want to do the discipleship program. I don't know. <laughs> yes, this is going to be good. Guys, what's up? Welcome to Access. My name is Pastor Jared. I'm the pastor of the Access community, which is the young adults community of Resurrection Life Church. So excited to be with you all tonight. As some of you guys may know, we're in a series right now called Devoted. Devoted. And so we're looking at a biblical perspective to friendships. So this is our third week going through this series. We've gone through, man, it, we, the first week we touched on, man, this is, who you hang out with really impacts your life. You become like those who you consistently hang out with, who you share your, you share your life with. Second week, last week, we touched on just, again, the importance of biblical friendships. And we, we said that the friends that God desires for our life, they have a shared unity and they have a shared mission. And we left with a question of why are the, we friends with the people we're friends with? Could there be a biblical purpose behind the friendships that we have? And if there isn't one, we should, let's pray. Let's see if there's a biblical purpose, a mission for our friendships. And so as we're kind of looking through these biblical friendships, I was kind of reminded of a funny story. Um, so as some of you guys might know, I traveled across the country uh, two summers in a row with a missions organization called the Every Heart Movement. And I went on a 10-week mission trip. One of those weeks we spent in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And so about a mile or uh, probably about 20 miles away from where we were staying, there was this uh, landmark, which was called the Manitou Incline. And I don't know if you guys know, if I've ever heard about it, but it's a mile long stairs of stairs. So you basically climb these stairs for a mile straight up this mountain, and then you get to the top, right? You get to the top. And so my buddies and I, we get to the top. My one buddy, he was six foot seven, and by the end of the, by the, end of the top, he was huffing and puffing. I was up there, and my quads are screaming at me like, dude, what are you doing to me right now, right? So I get, I get to the top, and we're all like kind of gassed, right? But we got to take a picture. So we take a picture, and as we're going to take this picture, we look out in the distance, and there's this... Lone rock formation, standing tall in the distance. And my buddy Austin was with me. I look at my buddy Austin and I said, you know what we're about to do. And he goes, yeah, let's go. So we start running toward this rock formation. And long story short, we, we climb up this rock formation. When we get to this little part in this crevice, we're probably about 50, 60 feet in the air right now. And we're about to do like a 20-foot climb up to the top of this rock formation. But here's the thing, like uh, the 20 feet all the way up there, it was like pretty easy, you know, you like just step and maybe you like jump and like lift yourself onto the next one. But this one, like it's, it's basically the incline of it. It's like, it's like this, it's like straight up. You basically, you have to like climb, like technical climb up the last little bit here, okay? So the first hold on this climb is just out of reach for me. And my buddy Austin goes, dude, you got this. And I was thinking to myself like, Dude, what? I think you believe in me a little more than I believe in me right now. But before I, before I knew it, my foot was on there, and I ended up, I, he propelled me just high enough where I could reach that next hold. And I climbed, and I made it, and I remember there was one time where I, like, made a, a wrong move, and then I, like, looked down, and all of a sudden just fear gripped me. I was like, wow, I could die right now. <laughs> like, 
this is crazy. <laughs> but I was like, I can't go down. So we get up to the top. And I don't know how ass Austin's a crazy athlete. But, before, but when I got to the top, I looked back and he was like two feet behind me. I don't know how we got up here. But he's like a little Spider-Man or something. But we got to the top. And as we're getting to the top, uh, we look in the distance we're singing a song at, from the top of the mountain as loud as we can, and we're videotaping ourselves. All of a sudden, we look in this distance, and there's these black clouds that are coming way too fast. And I'm like, we got to get out of here. Like, this could be really bad. And long story short, uh, a hailstorm ended up coming in, and like this big of hail, we're, doosh, doosh, we're like getting nailed on the top of our head as we're literally running down these switchbacks to get off of this mountain, right? It was this crazy time. It was so much fun. I ruined all my clothes. It was the best. But as I was thinking and reflecting on this, I thought about the type of friend that Austin was. Like, I, I sat here and I looked further than we had planned on going. I looked at, a, at, a, at something in the distance that we hadn't seen, but we crested this mountain together. And now I look at something in the distance and I look at him and I didn't even have to say anything. We both knew, yep, we're gonna conquer this. And I got to a spot where I wasn't able to do it on my own. And what did he do? Dude, st literally step on me so that you can go higher and I'll get there too. I think that's, that's a beautiful picture of what God intends for our friendships, right? The people that we surround ourselves with. We want to we wanna set ourselves on this mission and set ourselves to something that we've never done before with the Lord. And we want to climb the crest of this mountain. But even when we get to what we thought was the top of the mountain, let us look at the top of the mountain and say, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like, isn't that what we desire? And then to serve each other in this, Right? To, to lay our lives down for each other so that each other can go higher, right? That's what we desire. That's that biblical friendship that we desire. And guess what? This, the reason why we desire this type of friendship, to go to places that we've never seen before and to reach new heights and to lay our lives down for one another, the reason why is because Jesus actually created us for it. He did. He created us for these types of life-giving friendships that would propel us into the kingdom initiatives that God has called us to reach with our lives. You know, there, there was another community that was like this, that was filled with deep love for one another, had a mission on their mind, and they were set to reach it, whatever the cost. They were committed to the Lord, and they were deeply devoted to one another. And this was the first century church. See, what happened when Jesus ascended is he, he said to his disciples, he goes, I'm, I'm going right after the Great Commission. He literally says to the disciples, go and wait in Jerusalem because then you're going to experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father is going to be given to you. And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so we all, we, some of us know the story here. The disciples, about 120 of them, they were gathered in an upper room. And as they're sitting there praying, waiting, obeying what God has told us to do, told them to do, as the sound of a rushing wind bursts through this upper room. And then tongues as a fire start to peer over their head. And they all start speaking with other tongues. 
and they start speaking a language they don't understand, but the community that was around them at the time, they understood, and around 3,000 people started gathering outside of this upper room to inquire of what was happening in that place. Do you ever wonder? That must have been such a spectacle to get over 3,000 people's attention from one gathering of 120 that must have been a spectacle. These 3,000 people, over 3,000 people gather. Peter stands up, the same person who just denied Jesus to his face three times about a week, early, about a week or so earlier. He literally denied Jesus, and now he's up there, and he's commanding, and he's preaching to this crowd of over 3,000 people, and 3,000 of them get saved and baptized as a result of this outpour. The question is, they'd experienced something they'd never experienced before. But what happened next? How did they sustain that move of God that they had experienced? This thing that they would remember their entire lives. How, would, how did they sustain it? They were devoted to one another. This is what it says in Acts 2, verse 42. It says this, this was their strategy and how to steward the outpour that God had given them through the giving of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2 verse 42 says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So we as an access community, we believe that God is doing something so special in this room. Well, but, but we believe that the thing that God is pouring out into this room isn't just meant to stay in this room. It's meant to be carried out in a way that's very similar to how the disciples steward it in Acts 2.42. And so you may have heard this initiative. You may have even heard it kind of explained from in our announcements a little bit. But we have this thing called the 242 initiative. And it's based out of the scripture in Acts 2.42. And some of you guys might be, you might have heard this in announcements. You may have you know, heard different people talk about it, or maybe some, you heard somebody say, yo, I was hanging with my 242 the other day. Like, I'm going to give you a simple definition of what a 242 is. Are you ready? The definition of a 242. Friendships devoted to Christ through the spiritual disciplines. That's what a 242 community is. It's friendships devoted to Christ through the spiritual disciplines. And this is exactly what we see in verse 42 of Acts 2. You can throw that verse back up there. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. What is that? The apostles' teaching. It's basically, they devoted themselves to the word of God. They devoted themselves to scripture reading together. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They had shared experiences together. They had fun together. They had, I bet the disciples had a boatload of fun. I mean, you can't just hang around Peter, the type of guy we see Peter in the Bible, cut off a dude's ear, like, you got to have some fun with that guy. You know, like, you don't know what's coming next with that guy. Me and Peter, I think, would be pretty tight if he didn't kill me. And then the the breaking of bread, what is that? That's communion, right? It's the Lord's Supper. Sometimes we see this kind of played out around Easter time where Jesus breaks the bread and we take the cup, right? So it implies in one sense to the breaking of bread, communion, right? It says, as often as we do this, we do this in remembrance of Jesus, and we pro- proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We, we give thanks to Jesus for what he's done on the cross by continually taking communion. 
right? So it means communion on one hand, but it also means just, just eating together, eating together. Like, when was the last time you invited some of your friends over and just cooked a meal together and just, like, talked? It's, like, so fun. I'm not much of a cook. My man John is, but I'm not much of a cook. But I tell you what, I can whip up some mean tacos and some mac and cheese, you know? And I can invite some people over and have a good time, right? So they're, they're, communing, they're, they're communing together, whether it is via the Lord's Supper or just sitting together, having a meal together. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'll do a little research into this. But there's something different about just like sharing a meal with people, you know? I don't know if anybody else has experienced that. There's like something that connects there. And then the last one, they devoted themselves to the prayers. So they had a life of intercession together. They had times together where they prayed together over specific topics. But then they also prayed for each other outside of the times that they were together. When was the last time that you and your friends actually prayed for each other when you hung out? When was the last time when somebody shared something deep on their heart that was tough and you stopped playing Mario Kart? You stopped watching your movie and you said, hey, like this is more important. Let's pray for you right now. And then we can get back because I was winning in Mario Kart and we would need to keep playing, you know? The disciples devoted themselves to these spiritual disciplines. But this is something that Pastor Nick's gonna expound a little bit more next week. But the spiritual disciplines aren't the end or the point of our gathering. Like, we don't gather here and go, thank you, Jesus, for your blood. All right, you may take the bread. All right, see you later, right? Like, that's not, that's not a 242 community, right? There's no, like, life there. Like, you're doing all the right things, but I think you're missing some of the point. Like, it's not, the point isn't communion. The point is Jesus, and we meet Jesus through communion, right? The, the point is not just to sit down and read the Bible. Okay, you go around. You read, all right, everybody share their thoughts. Great. Let's pray. All right, sweet. See ya. Like, it's, it's to encounter Jesus through the scriptures together, right? The point just isn't just like we pray together, but like we cry out for hunger and deep desperation of God together. Like we stoke each other by the way we pray. When was the last time that you prayed a prayer that like actually confronted somebody? Like maybe like, I don't know, you sit down for a meal and they're like, oh, hey, Jared, why don't you pray for your meal, right? And you're like, come on, like, let's go. Like this is about to be the most blessed spaghetti I ever eat in my life. You're like, you just sit down and you're like, Lord Jesus, I thank you for your blood that you shed on the cross, right? You just go off. Like, what, what if that was our prayer life, right? But people around would be like, dude, it's just spaghetti. Like, the garlic bread isn't that anointed. Sure, we put oil on it, but I don't think it's that kind of oil, you know? But when was the last time that our prayers, like, that we stoked each other by the way we prayed, Right? It's not just that we pray for each other, check the box. It's that we meet Jesus and sharpen each other through the way that we pray together, right? And Pastor Nick's gonna do a beautiful job next week explaining the point of the spiritual disciplines being Jesus. It's not, it's not the spiritual disciplines in and of themselves. And we believe that, I, I believe that God is doing something so wild through this community And he's counting on us to steward it through these godly friendships that are going to be forming through this. 
these 242 communities that meet outside of Thursday nights, but are devoted to Jesus through the spiritual disciplines. Like these communities that form, that do all of these fun things together, but are open to having divine interruptions to their, to their fun. You know, we, we've been talking a lot. The key verse kind of for our devoted series this past month has been 1 Corinthians 15, 33. And it says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? And so we've, we've said this whole, this whole month, we've said, man, well, if bad company corrupts good morals, then what does good company do? It promotes good morals. It leads us into the way of Jesus, right? So you might be sitting here right now and you're saying, Jared, whoa, you have just fired me up. I'm ready. Like, I want to start at 242 tonight. Like, I want to devote all my friendships to Christ and the spiritual disciplines. Like, let's go. But I have a question. Like, what, what is bad company? What is good company? Who, who are some of the people that I should be hanging out with? Who are some of the people that maybe I shouldn't? Is there a biblical example for, like, maybe just like a test to say, man, am I living in a godly manner? Or are these people, like, actually promoting me towards Christ or leading me away from Christ? The answer is yes. And so we're going to go through a passage of scripture in Proverbs, and we're going to look at some of the things that the Lord specifically says that he hates, right? But the reason why we're doing all of this is to answer this key question, these key questions. We're answering the, the key question, what is bad company and what is good company? So my hope in communicating these things is that we would be able to take an honest look at the friendships that we have, and we would kind of hold them under a magnifying glass, and we would say, hmm, like, are these friendships that the Lord would love, or are these friendships that the Lord maybe would not, right? And if, and then after we take the, the magnifying glass, then we're also, then we're also going to look at ourselves. We, we held the magnifying glass to some of our relationships, but we're also going to stand in front of the mirror. And we're going to look at these things and say, ooh, some of these things kind of remind me of me. And this is what I want to communicate before we even get into it, is if you find yourself resonating with any one of these things, the Lord doesn't hate you, okay? <laughs> like, he doesn't hate you, right? That's not him. He loves you, right? But he's also calling you to a higher standard. This is something that God is instituting as a, as a standard for the people who love him, who are passionate and are following him, right? So we're going to look at a magnifying glass, examine some of our relationships, but also stand in the mirror and say, God, if any of these things resonate with me, I want to get them out. Would you help me? Because I want to look more like you. Does that make sense? Everybody tracking with me? Good? All right. Okay, so let's get into it. Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. All right, this is going to be pretty intense. I'm just warning you all, all right? All right, Proverbs. Here we go. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, 
feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers, or among the brethren. So as much as I would love to stand up here with the 10 minutes that I have left and go through every single one of these, I don't think I have enough time for that. So I would encourage you guys to look at some of these specific ones outside, but I am going to look specifically at three that I feel like are really, really pointed for our community. I feel like really, really relate, right? But we can see a list of some things that the Lord hates, right? But in looking at the things that he hates, I think we could actually kind of take the opposite of those things and find some things that he loves, right? And so we see what God hates. He, one, number one, a proud look. Two, a lying tongue. Three, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, people who are bent on sinning. They dream of sinning, right? That's the, those feet that are swift to run into evil, right? False witnesses who speak lies. And then seven, one who sows discord among the brothers. So from those, we can see some things that God loves. He loves humility and a humble outlook. James 4 verse 6 says, God opposes those who are proud, but he gives grace to those who are humble. Number two, he loves truthful lips. Number three, hands that protect the innocent. Four, people who are bent on right living. Five, feet that are swift to run to righteousness. Six, truthful witnesses, those who speak the truth. And seven, one who sows unity among the brothers. So we're going to do kind of a, a little bit of a compare and contrast between three of these tonight. Or do I have four? I have four. We're going to go four. Come on. So we're going to specifically look at pride versus humility. We're going to look at those who are bent on sinning versus bent on right living. We're going to talk about false witnesses versus truthful witnesses. And then lastly, we're going to talk about those who bring division and those who bring unity. All right, so let's jump right into it. So proud look versus humility. So pride, I think a definition of pride is the thorough conviction of one's identity and the false deception that he is worthy to be served. Another way you could say this is entitlement. And I don't know if you have some of those friends where they walk in and they're just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, like one of the, the key signs of a, a prideful heart is a heart that is quick to complain. Say, oh my gosh, I can't believe this. This should be better. Oh, I can't believe that. I should do, I should do this, right? But it's all centered. The whole universe is kind of centered around me, right? There's a quote up here that comes from Billy Graham. It says, pride comes when looking to ourselves, but meekness comes when we're looking to God, right? For the longest time, I've always asked this question, what is the difference between confidence and pride? Because I want to walk in a godly confidence. I want to know who I am in Christ. Like, I want to walk with this authority that God has given me, right? But I don't want to be prideful. What's the difference? The difference is your focus. Are you looking to yourself or are you looking to God? Humility, on the other hand, is the thorough conviction of one's identity. Notice, 
And those two portions are the same, right? It's pride is the thorough conviction of one's identity. Humility is the thorough conviction of one's identity. But here's the difference. But it's yet the thorough resolution to serve others before himself. I know who I am in Christ, and so I'm going to serve those around me. The best example I can think of in the Bible would be in John 13, when Jesus, knowing that all authority has been given to him, ties a towel around his waist and begins to wash his disciples' feet and then commissions them to go and do likewise. That's humility. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. Humility. So ask yourself this question. Pull out that magnifying glass. Man, or do I have some friendships where literally everything in their life is all about them? And all they talk about all the time is them? And they don't even ask me any questions or ask anybody else any questions, but can't wait to talk about what's, what they're doing? If they're the center of everyone's universe. That might be an indicator, right? Now, what do you do with that? It's not like you just give them the left foot of fellowship and say, hey, see you later, you know? But it could mean, it could mean that you actually love them enough to have a conversation with them. To say, hey, like, dude, we've been hanging out. I, dude, one, I love you. This is awesome. Like, I love our friendship. But dude, you kind of talk about yourself a ton. And like, I'm just going to ask you a question straight up. Like, when was the last time you took interest in someone else's life? That's pretty blunt, Right? They might give you the left foot of fellowship after that one. <laughs> what I'm saying, there's, there's better ways. You can be more tactful in your conversations with them. But if you have a friend that is in any one of these avenues, it doesn't mean you have to completely cut yourself off from them, right? But you have to give them the opportunity to repent. And if they deny that opportunity, then that's your answer. You say, okay, they're pretty set in their ways. Maybe we're going to go in different directions right? Number two, those who are bent on sinning and those who are bent on right living. So what are some, some key things about the person who's bent on sinning? They look forward to sinning. They look forward. They live for the weekend. Why? Because so they can get as drunk as possible and do all these different things, right? They plan events that revolve around sinful behaviors, these are the, the people who are bent on sinning. They get great joy from towing the line between the right and the wrong. They say things to you like, Jared, bro, you're just way too holy, bro. Like, dude, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. Come on, like, just do it. Everyone else is doing it. They're bent on sinning. They, they, maybe even they, they get a thrill almost of, of getting in trouble, but still getting away with it, right? They're like, almost getting in trouble. They're doing things that they should be in trouble before, but then we get away with it, and they're like, dude, that was amazing, bro. Like, we almost got caught. That was crazy, right? That might be a person that's bent on sinning, right? Here's another indicator, too, is they actually twist the word of God to make it say what they want to say. Rather than taking the word of God as it is, they they change the word of God rather than letting the word of God change them. So what are those who are bent on right living? They look forward to time with the Lord. It's not a drag for them. 
They plan events that revolve around the Lord, right? They get great joy from doing what is right and having so much fun while doing so. I remember hanging out with some of my friends who like were in the party scene at one point in their life and then they came out to a gathering that we had and we just, we played volleyball plus spike ball, all the competitive sports, competitive guy. And we had so much fun, right? We went boating, all this different stuff. And he, he, at the end of the day, he goes, dude, I didn't know that Christians could have so much fun. Like we're, like, we're supposed to have fun in this guy to connect, right? But we can do so with a good conscience. And that's way better than having a little bit of fun but searing your own conscience. They run from the line of sin and pursue Jesus wholeheartedly. They're, they're saying, oh, man, if I'm questioning whether or not this is sin or not, I, I probably shouldn't do it. Because why? Because I don't want to do anything that would get me away from Jesus. Like, I don't want to do anything that would impact our relationship. I want to get as close to Jesus as possible, as fast as possible, right? Those who are bent, those, these are the, the signs of people who are bent on right living. All right, next one, false witnesses versus truthful witnesses. False witness, they're nervous about the consequences of the truth, and so they lie to avoid the consequences of their own actions. They don't want the consequences of their own actions, even though it's what should actually happen. So they try to cover up the things that they do to try to avoid the consequences of the things they did wrong. That's a false witness. They say one thing, but then they do the complete opposite. And this might be half in and half out Christianity. Maybe they, they, they say, oh my gosh, Jesus is number one in my life. I want to pursue him. I want to go after it wholeheartedly. But then like when it comes down to actually obeying the scripture and doing what God says, when they disagree with scripture, they side with themselves rather than siding with the Lord. That's a false witness. Something is coming out of their mouth, but their life isn't lining up with it, right? And then a truthful witness, they say what they mean and they mean what they say. They're made after the image of God. And God describes himself in Jeremiah 1.12. It says, then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. This is an attribute of God is that he watches over the words he speaks and he's careful to actually perform the things that he says. He's a man of his word. Right? This is one who is a truthful witness. He's one who watches over his word to do it. Psalms 15, 4, it says, this is, this is describing somebody who is able to dwell in the tents of the Lord. Someone who is able to be close in his presence and actually live there. It says in Psalm 15, 4, who, he who swears to his own hurt but does not change. Basically, that, what that says is, if I gave somebody my word, even though it's 30 minutes out of the way, and it'll cost me an extra $20 in gas nowadays, I'm still going to go because I gave them my word. It's keeping our word, right? I've heard Pastor Wayne say this on a Sunday morning, but he says, if you can't believe what you say, how is the devil going to believe what you say? It's good. It's good. It hurts a little bit, but it's good, right? Guys, I have so much to grow in this area. We all have so much to grow, right? 
And this isn't saying, oh my gosh, I guess I'm a false witness, right? But what this, this, what this is saying is, man, if there's certain parts of what I'm saying that resonate with you, I'm not calling you out. I'm not condemning you, right? I'm not condemning you. I'm, I'm giving you an opportunity to go to the next level of the Lord, right? And that's, that's what we're all about. We're all about being molded, fashioned, shaped into his image, right? And what we see his image clearly laid out in scripture. So let's go there together, right? And we, don't, we might not know it, but this is actually the best life for us. It's a life that says something and does everything in their power to actually perform that thing, right? As long as it's agreeing with the word of God in accordance with the scriptures, right? But, all right, the last one. This one's gonna hurt a little bit. Come on, as if the other ones didn't hurt. Okay, the last one. Brings division or brings unity. Someone who brings division. This is a sign of somebody who brings division. Gossip pours out of their mouth. They know the quote, they quote, they know the T on everybody. They use phrases like, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but I've heard. Guys, what I'm saying here is Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. If you, a, the person who brings division is one who talks evil about people behind their back and gossips. And guys, I say this because God has so much more in store for us, guys. We don't know the swords of division that are coming out of our mouth when we talk evil about people behind their back. We don't know. Have you ever, I don't know, I've experienced this, right, firsthand. I'll, I'll come out and confess. I've gossiped, right? But when, we, when I talk about somebody evil behind their back and then I see them, I can almost feel the separation between that person. Like I can feel the wall that's built between me and them. And I'm just like, it's like this weird kind of thing that I can like tangibly, like, oh man, I hope they don't know what I said about them. Like, oh, hey, oh, how's it going, right? All the time I'm like talking to a wall, you know? Like, that's, that's what gossip is gonna do to our friendships, right? So what's, what's the solution? What's somebody who brings unity? Encouragement pours out of their mouth. They deny opportunities to gossip. They, they use phrases like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to talk about that person behind their back. And let me stop you right there. And then they refuse to, quote, cut someone's cloak. And this Bible story, it comes out of 1 Samuel 24. And this is the last thing I have for today. So hang in with me as I finish this story here. 1 Samuel 24 is a story of David and King Saul. Now, King Saul was the rightful king, but David was the anointed king to come and take Saul's position, right? Saul didn't like the fact that David was going to take his position, and so he was trying to kill him. And he actually was searching all over Israel to try to find David so that he could kill him. So one day, David and his boys that he's on the run with, they're hanging out in this cave, finding some rest. And this cave, super, super dark, right? Must have been super, super dark. All of a sudden, they hear this one guy, a little, just wander on in there. And it's Saul. Saul comes in to relieve himself. And as, like, he's standing in there, all of David's boys are whispering to him, dude, now's your chance. Now's your chance. Like, this is the guy who's trying to kill you. 
dude, here's my knife. You know what to do. Right? But David, he sneaks up on him, fully intending to try to, to try to come, fully intending probably to kill him, but he's convicted as he's on the way, and he only cuts off a, a, a line of his cloak rather than killing him. And now we might look at that and say, whoa, dude, like you had the opportunity to kill him, and he comes out to him, he comes out and he addresses Saul, and he said, God, the Lord God gave you into my hands, but I would dare not put my knife, put my life against the Lord's anointed. Like Saul was the person that God had anointed for that kingly position. And even though David knew that he was going to take his position at some point, he still honored and respected this man who was causing so much havoc in his life. But David, the man after God's own heart, he was so convicted for even cutting off the cloak just cutting off the line of somebody's robe, right? He was so convicted about that that he actually apologized to Saul. But here's the thing. How many of us today, we see somebody on Instagram, TikTok, we see these big influencers and we just rip them to shreds? How many times do we hear somebody on this one little bit of a soundbite and we just say, that's it, dude. That guy is not following Christ. Now, is it, is it right to look carefully and judge the things that you're hearing? Yes, right? And you may not want to listen to some of these people that are out there, right? But I also don't have to go and talk to everybody about it. Does that make sense? Like these people around us, as long as they're not like teaching directly against the Bible, right? As long, if you just, if they're not teaching directly against the Bible, like we have an opportunity and an obligation from the Lord to speak highly of these people and not to cut their cloak, not to come at them with swords of division, right? That's what God is inviting us to. And so as we kind of wrap up here, I would love for everybody to just bow your head and close your eyes. Actually, no, I'm going to switch. Everybody, keep your eyes open. You're all set. We're all set. We're a family here. Come on. So the first response I'm going to give, and this is a bold one, but if any one of you guys either resonate with some of these things that we're talking about, and you're saying, whoa, like some of these things kind of hit me, and I think God and I have some work to do in order to be shaped more into his image. There's some of these things that God's saying, these attributes that we just read about that resonate a little bit too deeply within my heart. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask that you would stand in front of everybody on the count of three, okay? And the reason why I'm having you stand is because, man, following Jesus sometimes costs us our comfort. It does. And if we will be comfortable, if, if we will go outside of our comfort zone in here, then we'll go outside of our comfort zone out there. So I'm gonna to count to three. And if this resonates with you, I would just invite you to stand up. One, two, three, stand up. Come on. Thank you, Lord. That's good. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. This is such, this is so cool. I'm like excited. Why? Because we get an opportunity to look more like Jesus. We get an opportunity to repent. That means that I see the way that I'm walking is the wrong way and I changed my mind 
with a change of action to go in the opposite way. But if we think that we can change ourselves by ourselves, we're wrong. We need the Holy Spirit. So everybody, everybody in the room, whether you're standing or whether you're not, would you repeat this prayer after me? Say, Jesus, I repent for walking in a false way. I see now the right way. Holy Spirit, would you help me to walk in the manner of Jesus more faithfully? I need you. I want you. I desire you. And I want to be made more in your image. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Let's go. So everybody who's standing, I want to charge you with something real quick here. I want to charge you. Is before tonight ends, before you close your eyes, before your head hits the pillow, you need to write down somewhere. It's in your phone, on your journal. You need to write down those things that were prodded in your heart and write this statement in your journal. Today is the day that this behavior dies. Has everyone got that? Today is the day that this dies in my life. All right? Date it, whatever you got to do, all right? You can sit down. The next thing I want to offer is Maybe some of you guys in this room, we're talking about the way of Christ. We're talking about being made in his image. And if you're honest with yourself, you don't even have a relationship with God. Like maybe, maybe you come to Thursday nights, maybe you come to church on Sunday, but like you know that in and of yourself that, man, my heart is not submitted to Christ. And I don't have a living, breathing relationship with him. Today is your day. The Bible says, do not wait Today, it says, today, if you hear his voice calling out to you for relationship with him, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. If you feel that tug on your heart that's saying, man, I'm far from God and I don't want to be. God is reaching his hand out to you tonight. And he's offering you an opportunity to come into living, breathing, life-giving relationship with the God of the universe. So if that's you, again, everyone's eyes open. And for the same reasons, this man, following Jesus is gonna be, it's gonna be require you to take steps of faith outside of your comfort zone. And we want your first step of faith, the first step of faith in saying yes to Jesus, we want that to be representative of all of the other steps of faith that you're gonna take in your life that are gonna be outside of your comfort zone. And we want to celebrate with you. We're a family here. We're a family. We've all been changed by Jesus. And we know what it feels like to say yes to him for the first time. And I still remember that day when I said yes to Jesus. And even just thinking about it, I get so excited. And today can be that day for you today. It can be. So if that's you, would you stand on the count of three? You're saying, I'm done with my old life. And I want to live a new life with Jesus. One, two, three. Would you stand? Anybody in the room? Yes, thank you, Jesus. Can we give her a hand? Come on. Yes, thank you. Number two, come on. Thank you, God. Wow, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Oh, that's so good.
Anybody else? Anybody else feel like they need to stand? Anybody else? Amazing. All right. Would we join in a prayer together with our new brother and sister here? Like, come on, y'all just join the family of Jesus for real. This is amazing. Would you join us as we pray this prayer together, right? The reason why we pray this prayer is because we're starting a relationship with Jesus. And just like a marriage, right, we see people, two people get married. What do they do? They exchange vows with each other. They say to have and to hold in sickness and health till death do us part, right? They say all of those things. And so we're going to make that confession to Jesus to begin this type of relationship as well, all right? So everybody join with me as I pray. Say, Jesus, I love you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, defeating sin, death, and the devil. Jesus, I give you all of my heart. I give you all of my life. I hold nothing back. I make you the king and the Lord of my life. Holy Spirit, fill me and help me walk like Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Woo! Come on. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Come on. So if you, you guys who made those decisions, I would love, even if we have some leaders in the room, if you feel like that heartbeat to go connect with them, I would encourage you, go connect with them. We want to meet with you. We have some leaders in the room that want to meet with you. If you want to come up to me, I would love to pray with you, share with you some practical details on how to start and keep walking in this new relationship with Jesus. So, all right. Good deal. Love you guys. Here comes Zach.